Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood as tchangehappen.co.uk. That's S-W-E, changehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 92, with the title, Listening, Not Fixing. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Greg Wasserman. Greg describes himself as the Head of Community, Partnerships and Growth for an AI startup called Cast Magic. When I asked Greg to describe his superpower, he said he is a Gladwelling super connector, someone who spreads ideas. Hello, Greg. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Great to, uh, to join uh, in with your audience. Thanks, Greg. We've, we've chatted a bit on Slack via the Cast Magic community. So I kind of feel like I've known you before we, we connected today. So absolute pleasure to finally meet you logically, physically, virtually, in person, whatever. So, Greg, reading through the show notes you, you pulled together ahead of this, and I pulled out the title Listening, Not Fixing. So what does that mean to you? Why is that important to you? I mean, there's so many ways to think about this. And I think we have a fix-it culture. And if we now take a step back, how did I actually get to this point of a fix-it culture? I, I guess if, if we, we, we get raw, and, and this is what I love about the show, is a year ago, I entered a program for rehab. Truly was not wanting to be here. This is the first time I'm joyfully sharing this message with your community because uh, I say joyfully because... It is a message that I think others need to hear because I was in a dark place. And I got there because we have a fix-it culture. I grew up in an amazing household, loved my family, unbelievable parents, showed nothing but love. And, and the problem we have is the lens that we look through is not necessarily the lens that other people are intending us to look through. And no one actually understands that. So if you're like, everything was done with love, doesn't mean that it can't hurt. And so if we have a fix-it culture, the fix-it culture is we ourselves are in discomfort when someone shares a problem. We don't actually go and we want to fix that. We want to solve that. So instead of understanding that a person is just sharing, that 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 they are in a position to feel comfortable with you. And they're like, I'm just sharing this. Now, we also don't, as a society, say, hey, I want to share something with you. I don't need you to respond. I just want you to listen. Maybe as a society, we need to start doing that as well. So there's a duality to this. If we can start training people to go, I want you to listen, and the other side to go, what do you need me to do with this information? I feel we will start improving as is a society. Then people will actually feel that they're being listened to, they're heard, 
their validation. Uh, there's more val validity there. So if we take my story, like I grew up in, and a lot of what I went through was this feeling of not being good enough. That anytime I said something, it was met with, well, have you thought with this? Whether it was a parent, a teacher, a friend, it was always, how do I give you a solution? Or the other side of that is it's a me too. Like, oh, I've been through this. And so now the other side doesn't feel validated. They're like, well, now all of a sudden the story I'm telling you is one that you are trying to create connection with. But instead of actually creating connection, I'm now catering towards you because you are feeling like you have this connection with me. And so if we can stop and actually start listening and understanding from a a, a human standpoint that people just want to feel validated. They want to feel understood that we don't need to be quick to, to give them a, here's how to do it, or here's how I would do it. Here's what I think you would be doing. And so through all of that, I always then, the lens I put my life through was I was never good enough and that I couldn't do anything right. And then you've also have like a perfectionist mindset. So if we are always thinking about, well, have you thought about this? Then it's like, oh, what I must be doing was wrong. So how do I do something better? Or you have a better idea or my idea is not there. So from a society standpoint, we start creating this culture, fix it, perfection of not good enough. And that is, is a core of ultimately after years of, of not knowing why I was so unhappy and why I was not living a fulfilled life for myself. Yeah, a year ago, I didn't want to be here and someone was able to help me and check me into a program. And I'm now so grateful and I have so much love, but also an understanding. And every time I tell my story to people, I'm like, I want you to start and pause and learn that, ask the question, are you sharing this with me because you want me to respond? Are you sharing this from to me because you want a solution? Like, why are you sharing this? And if we actually take that moment back and do that, the other party is going to go like, wow, I feel seen. I feel understood. This is going to help me. And if you look at that from like the workspace standpoint and who your audience is, it's like, that changes the game completely. You now have an audience inside your company that feels even more validated. So I'll kind of pause there because that's a lot. But yeah, that's kind of why, uh, you know, listening, not fixing is a key piece for me. Well, thank you for trusting me to tell me that story. That's really, really powerful. And if you don't mind, can I ask you, can you trace back the root of this is was it to your your childhood, your parents, your educational system, your peers? What what led you to believe you were never good enough? I think yeah, I, I mean I guess I would go with my parents in this one. So I'm a big Brene Brown fan. And and I always remember the story from one of her books is when she was sick. Her parents were loving and amazing parents, and they took care of her, right? And they did all the things you would expect a, a good nurturing family to do to take care of their child. When they got sick, they didn't do that for themselves. So the lens 
that Bernays saw was sickness is a weakness. And that's why I go back to the story of like when your parents are doing something out of love or someone's doing something out of love, their their thoughts are, I'm doing an amazing thing. I'm trying to help you. I'm doing such a great job. But like the lens that another person puts on things may not be that. Perception is is changing their reality. And we have to remember perception is is each individual's reality. So for me, it was, I mean, my father tomorrow will would have been his 75th birthday, passed away a couple months ago. He he grew up in a broken home, didn't have a father himself, and he did an amazing job in raising us. But if we look at generational, he was your standard male who knew three emotions. I got happy, angry, sad. So I didn't grow up understanding that that I didn't know until this year what dysregulation was, holding space, feeling regulated, like words that like are now becoming common. Most of us don't know that. Like, why am I anxious? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Like, I couldn't tell you that. Like, I'm dysregulated. Now I can tell you that. So back then, it was understanding that my parents were just doing their best to protect me, being the protective parents that they were, or they were in such discomfort I have a problem. Great. How do I solve this? Because they're problem solvers. Like we are in a fix it society and we want to solve things. It was never of. So yeah, the answer to your question was probably going back to that of, I didn't feel good enough because anything I did was, it was too scary. So there was the worry. There was the, have you thought about this idea? There was no validation of like, you're good. I trust you. It's more of how do I protect you from the world? Or how do I ensure you don't have pain when in reality, pain is a good thing. Like you need the bitter and the sweet. You need some of those things. So if you don't, if we're not allowing people to feel discomfort, to, to learn from mistakes, we're actually doing a disservice to them. So yeah, that's, I think, the answer to your question. Yeah, I mean, a buzz phrase we hear at the moment is psychological safety. And one of the elements there is learner safety, so being able to learn in a safe space. And a key part of that is being able to make mistakes. So if you're not in, a, in an environment where mistakes are learning exercises, mistakes are valid, that mistakes are, are okay, if you believe you can never make a mistake, I guess that is the root of perfectionism to a point where perfectionism is a problem, not just high achievement. It, it's, it, it holds you back. You know, it, it stops you being good enough. You have to be better than good enough. Everything has to be perfect, which we know is, is unachievable and unattainable. And also you're tra- chasing something that is unhealthy sometimes. 100%. I mean, and that's what I ultimately was, was trying to do. I had a perfectionist fixed mindset that if you have that as a, a double dose, it, it doesn't lead to happiness. And then back to your intro, like I'm head of growth and I'm in a revenue role. Like my career has been revenue. I love talking to people. So back to my superpower is life is about time and relationships. I love opening a conversation with someone. I don't know where it's going to go, but let's open that up. Now that goes into a sales mindset of going like, look, eventually I could sell to you, but also I can help you. Like if I don't have a solution, maybe I can help you and connect you to someone else. And so if you look at it from the sales mindset, like Salespeople are are rejected a lot 
you have to build thick skin. So if you have a perfectionist mindset, a fixed mindset, you're already torn down and you're going into a profession where you're getting tear, torn down even more. Yeah, it, 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 it was a recipe for disaster until I was able to get help and realize it. Yeah, I, I feel that pain. And my wife works with me. She does my business development. She, yeah, call it sales, call it engagement, outreach, LinkedIn, emails. And often I'm having to reinforce and, and amplify and boost her when she has a bad day. She's had too many no's, every, every, too many rejections, or someone won't pay the asking price or something like this. And she, she, get, she gets all kind of like flustered and angry and has to lock herself in the toilet for 10 minutes and shout at the wall. And I just step in and give her a hug and say, it's okay. Every no is closer to a yes. Keep going. You're doing great. You can do this. So I get it that you, you want validation. You want gratification. You want you want that those brain chemicals to hit you and go, yeah, yeah I'm winning. And when they don't come, it, you, you go to that downward spiral, don't you? Yeah. And I think it's also an understanding. So if we look at it from a sales culture and a fix-it culture, and just the culture of not understanding people's values and what's important to them. So if we can do a better job of understanding those things, especially in the sales culture, like, but I think it's a, is a, is a corporate world as a whole. Most people move up in their career because they were good at what they did. But the, as you know, as a, a leadership coach, like just because you were good at that job doesn't mean you're good at managing people. Doesn't mean you are good at coaching people. Those are very different skill sets. So if you look at the sales community, I crushed my number. So great. You're going to move up into a sales manager role because if you did well, maybe you can teach all these other people how to do it. That doesn't work that way. And you're not giving that person actually the understanding of going like, hold on. Is, is what I'm doing a good thing? Like you're probably perpetuating a perfectionist mindset or work hard, just overcome it, just make more dials and go do these things. Like we have to take a step back and actually be able to have those vulnerable conversations, which most of us aren't doing. Yeah, I think it's got a name, hasn't it? It's called the Peter Principle. So you're promoted to the point of incompetence and then you get stuck there. So what happens is you're really good at what you do. You stand head and shoulders above, above the people around you. So therefore you're a candidate for promotion. So you get promoted to the next level. If you if you stand out at that level, you get promoted to the next level. You get promoted until at one at one point you no longer stand out and you're now incompetent at doing that role. Uh, without the investment, because everyone thinks you're a high achiever, everyone thinks you can do all this. And and you're, you're so right in what you say there is that we need to invest in our leadership. And leaders aren't just great technicians. There are there are skills and competencies that leaders should have and can be trained. Leaders aren't born. They're not created like that. Leadership is, an, is, is a learned skill. Yes, you can have some natural talent, natural flair for it, but you can learn this. You can learn emotional intelligence. You can learn to listen. You know, As you said, learn to listen without having to respond. It's, sometimes it's so difficult, though, isn't it? To, as someone tells you a story, I mean, you were telling me your, your intro, and I so wanted to respond to you. I so wanted to to dive in there with empathy. I so wanted to go, and me as well. And, oh, yes, I've had that experience, to try and validate what you're saying. But as you say, the power there is not to listen to respond, to listen to to acknowledge, listen to to ask you 
how you feel about that, how you can drill down in that. Not for me to go, well, that's happened to me as well. It's a me too thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, it, I hate that like we have the Me Too movement, but I'm like, this is a different Me Too movement that I think is actually, if not more, more or on the equal playing field of like, hold on, like we are, we are damaging us as a people by, by Me Tooing this, by trying to build connection when you're not really building connection. You're just, I don't know. So it's it, yeah. it's hard though, isn't it? Because you you you've told me something really really deep, and my natural reaction, and most people's natural reaction, is to is to either use sympathy or empathy as a kind of a a, a feedback mechanism to show I've listened and to acknowledge you and validate you in some way by saying I get that because I've done this. And what you're saying is when you're in a certain status where you were, you don't need someone to fix you. You just need someone to go, "Wow, that's so powerful, Greg." tell me more or let's dive into something like that what, what more do you want to share how else can i listen to you and hear you without trying to without trying to come up with any answers because we want to fix each other don't we? That's, that's the trouble we do want to fix each other i think the biggest phrase i learned during my program was thank you for sharing like those little words literally just then allows the person to go like you heard me you you understood I was sharing something that is either difficult or I'm going through a pain or I'm in pain. Like it could be a simple frustration with work. Going back to, to, to your scenario, it's like I'm beating down, I'm getting all these no's and your response is, you've got this. It's like, okay, the next call is just going to get you to a yes type deal. It's like the motivation they need, but it's understanding then is that what they need? Is the person actually coming to you and saying, I'm sharing this with you so that you can boost me up? Or I'm sharing this with you so that I just can share this and I, I trust you and I love you and I just want to share this with someone because I'm beaten down. And I know this is a feeling that will go and it will pass, but this is where I'm at right now. And I'm kind of asking you to sit here with me as opposed to boosting me up. But until we actually go, thank you for sharing that, are you looking for me to to respond? Are you looking for me to do what? We don't do that. And once we start doing that, oh my God, what power of that is going to be amazing. Yeah, have you, have you heard of a, an expression called uh, rubber ducking? No. I, I can't remember which company it was, but one company, they had this 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 kind of guiding principle that you could not ask for help from your manager, from your colleagues, unless you discussed your problem with a rubber duck on a shelf. So you'd have people or in the yeah. office, they'd, go, they'd stand in front of this shelf with a rubber duck on it, and they'd explain their problem, and they'd have a conversation with a rubber duck. And obviously, nine times out of ten, just saying it out loud, just bringing it out of your head into the open is enough for you to go, right, I've got it now. I've got the ideas. I've, as you said, I've let the frustration out. I've, I've, I've expressed it somehow. And... As you say, some, sometimes it's just just the need to to say something with somebody else in the room, so that you're heard, you're listened to, and that frustration is hasn't gone nowhere. So I, I completely get that, and it, it's I do it as well. I have I have a bad day, and I, I, I want to scream, but if no one hears me, it's not a scream, is it? It's like <laughs> if, if a tree falls in the woods, yeah. does it actually it make a noise? Yeah. yeah, I want someone to acknowledge to go. 
okay, I heard you, great. And then, then we can then we can feel acknowledged. I think that's the, the acknowledgement of my frustration, my pain, my challenge, whatever it is. You can't fix it. There's nothing you can say. It's just, ah. And that goes to if we allow people to sit in discomfort, like I'm learning this, like sitting discomfort means there's change. And so if you can just accept discomfort, then that's a great thing to to move and, and change. So, yeah. Do you, do you have a lot of people say to you, well, you're so brave or you're you're an ex, you know, you're a real inspiration and sort of giving you hero status. Uh, in the last year, friends and family continue to just use the proud of me. Proud to have chosen a different path than I was originally thinking of taking and proud of like where I am a year later since I was there. I don't know if it's hero status is more of like just being able to engage with them on, on these deeper levels that I couldn't. That was the biggest thing. Like even my mom, no one knew where I was. No one knew the depth of, of my depression because you hide it really well. Like that's what we do as a society. It goes back to like your water to water cooler conversations of like, how are you doing? It's like, I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. And like, you walk away and it's like, no one actually has the conversation of going like, no, I'm having a shit day. It's like, now I got to sit here and listen to you. Tell me about your shit day. Fine. No, we'd rather, and that's the, the irony of this, right? Like, I want to fix it. But when you tell me I got something else to do, I'm like, well, I don't want to listen to this. So like, we have this weird societal issue. And I think when we can start having those vulnerable conversations, We'll do it. And so I think that's where my friends are coming from of understanding like you're actually trying to do things. You're trying to make a change not only yourself, but help others. And that's why I'm so honored to come on here and and talk to you about this topic because I feel we're missing this. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying there. It's when we're with our friends, our family, whatever it is, and the conversation about how, how are you doing? The expected answer is, yeah, I'm okay, having a tough week, things will be okay, don't worry about it. And then you say, well, how about you? And they go, yeah, me too, yeah, similar sort of thing. Yeah, life goes on, yeah, we're getting there. And that's the kind of superficial level we're kind of comfortable with. And as you say, once it goes down a notch into, actually, no, I'm not okay, I've got some real things going on, can you listen to me for five minutes? It's like, ooh, ah, mm, ooh, okay, we're getting deep here, are we? This is a... Uh, bit of bro love is it what are we doing here how can we how can we take this to another level it's like oh uncomfortable what do i say and it, it takes a very special friend colleague family member who give you that time and move into that space for you to truly listen 100 percent. like i said it wasn't until a year or so ago i learned the phrase like hold space like we don't know how to hold space no one's taught holding space for someone because we continue to have that bro love superficial like you're good i'm good cool let's 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 go drink a beer and and, and everything's good right like i don't know which is also probably why most of my friends are females cuz i'm like oh i can have these deep conversations as opposed to men we're not really talked about we're not told these things you know one of my one of my favorite books that's helped in my journey was lewis howell's mask of masculinity and it's like the the nine masks that we as men wear and most of us don't even know it so i try and tell like every friend 
like especially if you're in the education space, if you're a teacher, go read this book because you'll start understanding what's going on at a psychological level with those kids in your classroom because that's where it's all starting. And then if we can go into the adult level and if adults start reading that and the HR world starts reading that and sales managers and leadership start, then we can start identifying certain things. So once you can see, once you start seeing patterns, you can't unsee them. But we're not trained on it. I don't know what it's like in corporate America, but certainly in, in the UK, we're doing a lot around, more around mental health first aid, training people to have those listening conversations, to check in on people, to understand. I mean, I've, I've lost probably three or four people, all men actually, over my life who have taken their lives for various reasons. And nobody can understand why. There was no, there was no sign. There was no kind of, they were just getting on with life. And then one day they weren't. And there was a friend who lived in Australia and his wife came home and found him. He'd hanged himself on the pergola in the back garden and nobody had any clue. He just went out, got home from work early and, and took that route. And it's, it's that unknown. And I guess it had, had all of these people had the opportunity for someone to just hear them, to listen to them or check in on them just at that one moment, then potentially that conversation could have had a different outcome rather than just everyone's okay, everyone's fine. And first, thank you for sharing that. That is, that's not light. So thank you for, for sharing that piece. What comes to mind when I hear that, having been there, the check-ins are nice, but check-ins, I don't think help so much. So like, if a person doesn't know where they are, if they're already in a place mentally, then it comes down to shame and fear. Like how do, if I've never been trained on talking about these things, how do I come to you? And you're going like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. That's what we are. We are a fine society. And I always forget what the acronym of fine is, but like, it's, it's not a good one. So if I always told people, it's like, look, Robin Williams, Anthony Bardain, they seemed like they had such great lives. Like, they're not with us anymore for whatever reasons. We can go down that path. But people could check in. I don't think it's a check-in. I think it's actually understanding and diving in. Like, I did not know where I was. If you checked in, I was great at hiding it. I didn't know how to share no one actually taught me those skills. No one hold, held space. Uh, so I think it goes from how do we do that better in order to to stop anyone getting to that 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 sad ending. You you talked about the the multiple masks, multiple hats that that men wear. Was it you said nine? Was it different yeah. hats, different masks? It's having having tried it in my past. Being a man, I tried it for a while. It didn't work out for me, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of pressure being a man to, to live up to societal expectations, family responsibilities, perfect as you say that perfectionism to to be the person that everybody looks up to for strength, not showing weakness or, or deep emotion, and to keep that that invincible stoic front going, which is why we see suicide amongst men being the biggest killer 
of a certain age range. I think it's what 20 to 50 or something. It's one of the biggest killers of men, certainly in the UK. I guess it plays the same uh, in the US as well. And it, this, it is a tough gig being a man. I know, I know we, we say that women have tough gigs, you know, having to put up with men sometimes, but men men have a tough gig just just existing as as a man for the pressure they have without sometimes the support structure or as you say, you the the, the conversations you have with your female friends allow you to go deeper and to have those those those, those more empathic, more emotional type conversations that you can never have with male friends. And men tend to socialise with other men. And it often stays at that superficial level without the opportunity to go deep, doesn't it? Yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, look, I think being a human is, is difficult regardless of any factors. And each one's got their own. Like we can all joke going like, oh, I couldn't be a woman. Oh, I couldn't be a man, right? Like couldn't be a dog. It's like, oh, a dog's probably the greatest life. Like, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, as a, as a, male, a 40, almost 41-year-old male who's grew up in a generation where your parents in the 50s and, and early 60s were, were taught certain things. Like, I think we are, we're changing and the next generations will become better and you're seeing that. But the current generation where I'm at, I'm still living from those past. And it's tough. But that's why I'm like, all right, we got to start listening better we've got to start asking questions and responding otherwise not only is it suicide but it's also why men die of of heart attacks we don't have i mean i didn't cry i can tell you i cried four times probably in 20 years and those four times were over sporting related events whether i was playing or watching so this just goes to show you where where my head was and then crying over them especially when i was playing you're like i can't believe i'm crying and i'm showing all this emotion in my field like this is terrible like no like you got to allow that and so i've now learned like crying is such a great release it is a beautiful thing we're not taught those things those those aren't allowed culturally uh, across all different facets that is that's so true and so insightful i one of the things that i've learned over the last seven years since i gender transitioned is is to not hold my emotions in maybe it's the estrogen that i have flowing through my body now maybe it's those hormones the chemicals the the, the female brain kicking with those hormones but i find crying extremely cathartic it's extremely powerful release of all those emotions i'm happy to burst into tears in front of the television if i'm having a deep conversation with someone professionally we'll all end up having a cry and a hug i find it is just such a release now that i don't have to hold that in it's almost like i've got permission to be female to be emotional and therefore i'm going to bathe in it and use it to my advantage or to or to my self-care and i think you're right there allowing yourself to share to share and show those emotions without any bound, without anybody judging you. And you know, as a woman, I don't get judged for crying. It's almost like, oh, she's crying again. It's expected. Or my wife will say, oh, there's hormones. Here we go. To cry. <laughs> I go, it's great. I'm loving it. I'm it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a really insightful thing. What you said there is, you know, you can only cry four times in, in, in memory, and those were over 
winning or losing a sporting competition or your team losing or something or winning. So, yeah, it's we've got to give permission, not just to men, to people to let this out. It's a natural human release, isn't it? Maybe we're, maybe we're, we're training people to hold it in rather than express it. It's the, um, you've got to stay strong or I've got to, I, I can't show weakness or there's a problem with that. If, if you're always staying strong, then where is the, the joy and the mm. beauty of, of actually quote unquote being human and weak and allowing that? It's like, I, I, I empathize for, for parents who are like, I've got to show strength, even though my life is in a tailspin at the moment as whatever's going on at work and I got my kids, like there's a lot more that you're taking on as I watch like my brother and my sister-in-law with my niece. But sometimes there's strength and there's beauty and going like, it's okay to not be okay. And if you teach kids that, if we teach each other that, wow, once again, how amazing that would be because then we're all not trying to be stoic. We're all not trying to be strong. We're, we're allowing ourselves to be human, to, to be vulnerable. If you think about maybe back to high school, college, don't the big, brave, strong men have the best life? And then the kids that are maybe emotionally weaker and expressing themselves have have kind of like the not so great life they don't get the girls they don't get they don't get the hero story we're setting ourselves up for men having to be brave and strong to get the girl to get the hero to be to be to be the success that's still propagated in movies and disney and other cultures isn't it yeah i mean if we go back to to disney and the the, the movies we all grew up on yeah i mean it perpetuated a lot of that. Hopefully, I think things now. If you look at, we've got more female character-led movies, so we're we're changing that. the The thought of the prince rescuing the princess is what we grew up on, right? So that is that narrative is changing, which is amazing. And I think as we continue to evolve, and that's why I'm here to try and let people know. Like, let's people just want to be heard. They just want to be understood they, they they want vulnerability we just don't know how it to do it because we weren't taught so how do we start teaching this how do we start changing that perspective it will solve a lot it will I, I, it's almost like we've got to help educate parents or i i've maybe even pre-parents in the in the in before you're when you're planning a family is to how to bring your children up to nurture them in a more uh, yeah, less less stereotyped, less gendered way to use more empathy, to use more compassion. And it's not about winner takes all. It's not about having to be the best. I think if we can educate our, our, our next generation of parents with these tools and skills, otherwise all they're going to do is, is, like yourself, propagate the behavior and the the parenting model that you were given by your parents. I mean, and so I would go with not just educating them as parents because, I mean, I don't know if I'll have kids. So it's it's more of a matter of just educating us as humans, and that's going to make us better regardless as if if I'm if I'm a breeder or if I'm not, right? If I'm, I'm adopting yeah, if I'm not, right? If I have kids, whatever the case may be, like it's going to make us as better. It's going to make you a better partner. It's going to make you a better coworker. It's going to make you a better human. 
you know, being able to have honest conversations with your boss and going, look, I mean, my father passed away two months ago and I had to tell, I met, as you know, I'm at a startup and I'm like, I've got three co-founders. I'm like, I don't want to let them down because there's so much to be doing. But like, I was not in a mental place to do much of anything. And they're like incredibly supportive. And that goes to like bereavement. Like we as a society usually have three to five days for bereavement. So we're allowing as a society going like, hold on, you just lost someone. There's grief. We have a problem with grief. I learned that one as well. So if we have a problem with, we have a lot of discomfort because we don't talk about these things. So if we can start forgetting parents and just doing it for ourselves and having these conversations and understanding this is natural and there's ways to go about this and that there's, we can remove that shame of, of a not knowing or B feeling this way. We're going to become a better human race. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a high five to that one. That's definitely a, a good mantra and a good, a good way to evolve our society. I look back seven, eight years ago when I joined transition I I was at that point where everything was dark, everything was dismal, everything was kind of a stress point. There's lots of holding secrets in, trying to prop everything up, and then this feeling of being the pain giver and trying to be the pain fixer at the same time. All that pressure of, of all those of playing all those roles. And I think I learned. I came up with an affirmation, which is just two words: "I am." And that, for me, solved a lot of my my baggage and my, my demons because I was trying to wrestle with, as you say, not being good enough, trying to fix things, trying to work out, rationalize my, my identity, rationalize all the things in my head. And then I realized I didn't need to rationalize them. They didn't need fixing. They didn't need understanding. They just needed accepting that I am who I am. And I think once I found that affirmation, everything clicked into place. I didn't need the answer. There was no answer. There was no. There was no. There was no problem in in, the, in reality. There was just an acceptance of self. And once I was able to accept self, yeah, it now enabled other people to accept me, based on that affirmation, if you like. So, I, I think we we as you say we hold it in. We build this pressure cooker, and it's finding that release so that it doesn't explode through stress, through depression, through hopelessness, whatever it may be. And just step back and go, I, I, need, I, need, I need out for a minute. I need out. Let, let me just take some time. Let me be me for a bit. Let me talk to you. Let, listen to me. Rather than feeling this need to say, hold it in and be the one that is invincible. Can I ask you a question on that? Yeah, yes. go for it. So, I'm, I mean, so I'm finding at 41 almost – that I am able to go like, I don't care about anyone else, right? Like I have reached that point of like, I am who I am. I'm accepting that. So you reach that point at, at whatever age. But before that, right? Like, could you, the question is, is could you have accepted I am who I am earlier? And how do we get people to accept who they are earlier it's a hard thing, right? Because you had all this pressure, you had all this fear, you had all these things going on. So how do we get that I am moment accepted earlier? Yeah. Could I have found it earlier? I don't know. I don't know, actually. Because a lot of it's caught up with shame, 
fear of failure, rejection, right. all these kind of things are, you know, these human instincts, you know, fear of failure, fear of rejection, shame is a powerful emotion. You know, Brené Brown talks about it a lot, about shame and guilt. And those, there's, there's useless emotions that we can't do anything with. But you're caught up in it, you know, the fear of the unknown, the fear of taking that step forward, that, that irrevocable step. But once you've said it, you can't unsay it. And then you, the fear of being judged for doing it. And I don't think I could have, looking back on my life, found an earlier time. So I needed to evolve into it. I needed to take those small steps, nudge up to the edge of the cliff, look down it a few times, look down it a few times, and then realize it was only a centimeter drop. It wasn't a thousand feet. It was a centimeter, an inch, half an inch. I think I had to discover that myself. And I, ha I had people in my sort of social network who, who were going through similar kind of demons in the head around being trans at the time. So it helped to have other people to, to bounce this stuff off, to realize I wasn't crazy on my own. So I, I didn't do it alone. I didn't, do, I didn't actually have active help, but I knew there were other people. It wasn't just me, which gave me the belief that it, it, it was solvable. If you are. I've, seen, I've seen people come out the other side intact, so I knew it was possible. And I think it was just a case of after after I gender transitioned, after I sold my previous IT company business, I sat on the end of my bed in tears, not being able to sleep each night, going round and round circles trying to fix this problem, laying awake, laying awake, really, really kind of tearful, angry, depressed, retreating into myself. And I said, the answer came to me one day that I am. And I woke up and the sun came out. The, the curtains opened and I, I suddenly found my purpose in life. And I, I often talk about the Japanese saying ikigai. It's where those four elements intersect, what you love, what you're good at, what you get paid for and what the world needs. And I, I realized that I hadn't actually locked into place what I love. I was good at stuff. I was getting paid for stuff and the world needed it, but I didn't have my heart and passion in it. And I think a combination between I am and realizing what what fulfilled me allowed me to bring that together. And I think once you've made a huge, I mean, the the conversations you share today, once you've made those big fundamental life announcements or sharing what you, you share, it becomes very easy or a lot easier to share other things in your life because you're no longer held back by fear. You're almost empowered to to talk about things and to share things. I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you feel stronger and more empowered to share things now than you've ever done? Oh my god, completely. I I, I mean, now the if if there's fear in me, I go okay. Let's go talk about this because as soon as I keep letting that fear stay inside, whether it's to a rubber duck or or whatever, it's like all right, how do I how do I share this? Whether it's therapist or someone else, going like all right, like. Am I crazy? Is this normal? Is this a normal emotion? Like that's where you're looking the validation. So it's like, all right. Before I was keeping everything in my head, and so when you're keeping everything in your head, yeah, you're gonna go down a a ruminating rabbit hole. That's probably not good for you. But when you start talking about it, I'm like, I love your concept. I am Popeye, right? Why why was Popeye so famous? Because he is who he is, and that's his saying. 
And so once we start understanding that, the problem is once again, like as a society, like we say these buzzwords, like, oh, everyone, you should be Popeye. Like what's great about Popeye? He is who he is and that's great. But we don't accept that. We don't really accept that. We want you to have that, but like, ah, do we really accept that? Those in your network that do, back to your story and like you had a community, like you weren't alone. Like I felt alone. I felt if I shared any of these things that it would not actually go. So it was the fear of if I share what I couldn't control and that becomes a perfectionist mindset. You're like perfect, right? You want to control things. So yeah, but I love that you, I'm going to have to look into the, the Japanese. Uh, one phrase I love uh, from the Japanese can, what is it? I always screw it up. Kintsuji, where it's putting broken pieces together, but with gold. So it allows the beauty of you. You're not broken, right? You can be put back together, but allowing those broken pieces instead of just gluing it. So it's back to the original piece. It's like, no, show that with the gold and your, your cracks are beautiful. You are beautiful who you are and all, all, all elements of you. Like that is once we accept that back to you, I am, when we accept who we are, that becomes a beautiful thing. That is, that's truly beautiful. Cause I want you to see all of me. I want you to see the broken bits, the healed bits, the scars, because that's part of my essence is yes. how the, the adversity I've overcome, the challenges I've picked myself up from. That's so beautiful. There's gold, there's golden threads, there's golden joins. Because I often use the analogy of taking a piece of paper, screwing it up, and then trying to flatten it out. It will never be the same perfect bit of paper. But I've never thought of it in the way you framed it as see those scars, see those he healing and see what I've been through. Don't see that crumpled bit of paper as broken. See it as whole with yeah. life and lived experience. That's a yeah, I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look up that and uh, and bring that into my mindset as well. Thank you. That's really powerful. It's uh, yeah, when I heard that one I cried of course because I'm like, wow, like that is a powerful way to look at you going like I am all these things and you can be all those things the question is, is are you willing to allow others to see those and it goes back to the start of this conversation like if we can actually start listening to people and and giving them the space so that they feel like they can be who they are then then we'll all be walking around covered in gold and that's kind of cool it is. It is. It, it, it also plays into the kind of when people say, I don't see your, I don't see gender, I don't see ethnicity, I don't see race, I don't see this, I don't see that. I just treat everybody the same. And I want to go, no, I want you to see me for who I am. And that's exactly what you're saying. I want you to see those cracks. I want you to see where I've healed and all of those things that I've come through. Because that makes me, that makes me me. That's the power I have. You know, we talked about superpowers at the beginning. My superpower is I'm I'm etched in gold where I've healed myself and pulled myself up. I think that's a that's a great a great analogy to yeah uh, yeah definitely gonna I'll put that in the show notes so we can talk, <laughs> yeah, we can we can share that. Fabulous. So going back to your the period of you know, excuse the euphemism, call it your dark time where you where you are not sure whether tomorrow would come or not, or whether you make different choices. 
we often talk about the difference between being alone and lonely. And you can be you can be lonely in a room full of people. And you can be alone and yet yet fulfilled and happy. You you, you are probably experiencing that being lonely in life, regardless of who you are surrounded by. A hundred percent. I mean, like I said, no one knew. Like, like, like when I tell the story, they're like, there's no way you're a glass half full person. Like, there's no way. And it's a shock. And it's like, no, I, you get really good at putting up a front to, to allow society to see what you want society to see and not letting people truly in because if you did, yeah, that, that there's the fear of, of what they would see, what you would feel. So you kept that all inside. So yeah, it was, it goes back to the early part of this conversation. Like you feel so lonely because you don't know how to share those things. You are afraid you're not told and taught that you can share those things. Or if you're told like, oh, I want you to share these things with me, then there's a judgment or there's a fix. So it's like, it's easier to not share these things. So I'm going to continue to not share things about myself because I am fearful of the response that's going to be given. And the response that's going to be given is you shouldn't feel those things or how could you? Like, it's a standard. If you think about, we were talking offline about food. It's like, if a person is... Oh, if they comment about their weight and like, oh, but you, you're not fat or whatever the case may be. It's like, you're not helping the situation because that's how they feel. You literally just told this person, don't feel the way you feel. You didn't validate how they're feeling. You were just trying to go like, well, compared to other people, like, oh, you're so skinny or whatever. It's like, we have that as a societal. And I'm just using weight and food because that came to mind when we were talking about it. But like, yeah, we, we, we. We are so quick to, it's not in an sense, it's not even me too. It's just like, well, you're not. And it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boost you up because you're tearing yourself down. It's like, but they're not tearing, them, tearing themselves down. Like that is how they feel. So how do we actually allow them to feel that? And what is it that they need to hear or feel? So like, I'm in great shape. So when I tell people like I'm out of shape, they're like, but you look great. I'm like, okay, looks is one thing. How I feel, what I'm used to. I, I I worked out last night. I'm like, oh, this is kicking my butt. Like, I'm so out of shape right now. And then other people were like, well, compared to me, you you look great. Like, those are the things that play. It's like, once we start realizing how a person's feeling, what they're thinking, and we validate that instead of trying to go like, oh, well, you're not, or like me too. Yeah, it it. Uh, that lonely feeling was there because you're like, I, no one's going to validate anything I'm saying right now. Cause so who do I talk to? Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I was just, you were talking about having a workout last night. I mean, I, I am not anyone's athlete. You know, you look at me, I'm 58 years old. I'm significantly probably twice the, the weight I should be for my height. Um, certainly my age. And I, I have a, a, a gym session each week. I have a personal trainer. We do an hour together. And I don't pretend that I'm fit, but I, I, I do come out of those sessions. She kicks my butt, basically. She she works me and works me and works me. So I, I come out of that hour and I, I can't I can't walk. I can't breathe. I've got to sit down. I've got to recover. And she goes, you're okay? I said, 
yeah, I'm happy knackered. I've, I've, I've delivered. I've done what I wanted to do today. And I, I, I'm, I don't ever expect to be fit, fit. But I, I take pleasure in doing the best I can, you know, going back to the perfectionist thing or putting my whole self into something to achieve. I don't want to walk away thinking I, had, I left a bit. I want to go walk away thinking, yes, you had everything today and that was all I could give. I think that's the sign of a good workout, that personal drive to to do all you can, regardless of compare with somebody. I don't need to compare myself with somebody else. I don't care if I'm doing eight pounds or someone else is doing 16 pounds. It doesn't matter to me. I do, I'm doing what I can do to the limit of my ability. So, yeah, that the comparison is such a, a negative kind of emotion and trait. We, we should judge ourselves by ourselves. And when I, was, when I set my, this new business up, I mean, you talked about imposter syndrome or that feeling of not being good enough. I started a new career, a new gender, in a new sector. And I had immense imposter syndrome. And, and what I realized was I was evaluating myself against the standards of others, not looking for my incremental improvement. And as soon as I stopped comparing myself with yesterday, I started comparing myself with a month ago and two months ago and a year ago, I realized that there was a differential. But I was comparing myself at a micro level and not seeing much improvement. So that's I think that's the important thing is is is, is when people say, "Wow, you're doing great. You, you're moving on. You've come a long way." You, you don't go, "Oh," and argue with them. You go, "Thank you, really, thank you," and and accept what they're saying as validation, and not just fake platitudes and and sayings. Most people mean it. And that's what I had to do. I had to learn to say thank you and and, and really absorb that to enable, enable me to sort of kind of manage my imposter syndrome. I think that's what I ended up doing. You, you gave me a thought that I'm, I'm going to have to ponder on because I don't, well, if I say it, it's, it's, not, it's not flushed out because I know it's in my head. It doesn't make sense, but it's like, when you're talking about comparison, it is truly a negative thing. And so if I, I compared, I compared myself all the time. Self-deprecation was my thing. And taking a compliment was not something you could do because if you have a perfectionist mindset, like how can you take a compliment, right? Like I'm not perfect. Like there's more, there's more I could do. I fed off of tell me what was wrong so I can fix it because if the if I knew what was wrong, that means I could go and try and become perfect as opposed to accepting like you were good enough or you did what you did the best you could. It's like no, tell me I, I could have done better. So how do I fix that? And especially in in a corporate world, especially in the sales, like I want a hunter who's going to go out there and close all these business deals and so forth. It's like when you're looking for that you create a culture that's probably not healthy, but it's going to do great for your business. But your mental health of your employees is probably not great. So there's a, a, a balance there. But yeah, comparison is such a negative trait. And we, we do it all the time in everything we do. And social media doesn't help in that regards. Yeah, the, the Insta culture, the, the filters, the Snapchat, it's the pressure on younger people today being always on always compared chasing the likes chasing the validation aren't you glad both of us didn't grow up with social media in that regard yeah. it's like imagine where our mental health would have been then yeah 
well, no, no, no phones capturing photographs of everything we did. And we got up to stuff and it, it disappeared. It, it never existed. And I'm glad I can't remember some of it because <laughs> I did some crazy, crazy stuff. I'm sure you did as well. And it, it, it's gone and we, we can laugh about it around the campfire. But we got no evidence. We can't post it all over social media. But yeah, it's, it's a tough gig. And the mental health of younger people is, is really impactful. We see bullying. Because in my day, in your day, we went home, we could escape it, we shut the front door. And unless we had people being vicious and phoning us up and saying things, we largely had safe zones where we weren't being. But now your phone vibrates and it's a bully. It's, it's a negativity or even it's a, yeah, if, if we didn't talk to someone for a couple of days, that was the worst it got. Or we maybe pinched them occasionally or, or poked <laughs> them or something. That, that was kind of, that was our bullying of our day. But now it's it's intense. And it's not just the circle around you. It's the infinite amount of connections, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who can pile on to a stranger and reinforce the negativity. So, so, so destructive these days. And, and, and to that point, the fact that it is an infinite amount of people that are influencing you, which makes it even more crucial that we are creating habits and mental structures with inside all of us so that, all right, a troll's a troll. It's not going to bother me because I accept people are going to be like that. And negative feedback is just as good as positive feedback. And those are someone's opinions and that's perception. And I am who I am. I'm going to be there. And I like that. So, but we're not training the people appropriately to, 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 to filter that. And that's a hard thing. Yeah, and, and feedback, you know, if I don't value your opinion as a person, then I don't have to accept your feedback. I can I can leave that present unopened. I can return it to sender. I don't need to absorb your feedback into my life. Or I can frame it in such a way that, okay, that's one person's opinion. Okay, if, if everybody gives me similar feedback, then maybe I should learn and adapt and listen. But if it's a one-off, out of context with everything else, then it's just, I call it graffiti. It's like you're driving, driving down through a ghetto and you see all these hate words sprayed on the wall. And it's just someone being angry at the world. You don't know who I am. Your, your words aren't directed at me. You're just being angry at someone, a stereotype like me. That's fine. I can drive by and just go and I can ignore it. It's just graffiti. I don't take it personally. But it does take a very strong mindset to be able to filter out that noise and contextualize it as, as just as just junk because many people will bring that in into their psyche and they'll want to argue they want to fight they want to debate it they want to you know, bring it in and, and that those emotions aren't aren't productive either you know being able to let things go and not get absorbed by the negativity is again it's a it's a trait i've learned over the over the last few years to be able to and I wouldn't say it's about putting a suit of armor on and protecting myself all the time. It's around just being able to filter out the noise and move forward. And it's, I think, a lot of people don't necessarily have that ability. But it's helped my mental health no end to be able to compartmentalize noise and just close it down. You bring up an interesting point. We also struggle, we're defensive as a society. So... If I give feedback, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like, hold on, now you're attacking me, so it's all a matter. I'm defensive, and so that's where the argument starts, as opposed to like, hold on, like 
what is this person trying to show me? What are they trying to tell me? Can we sit here and actually have a conversation? It's like, no, I'm going to get defensive. And that that is the ego getting attacked, right? If, if I think about things in that regard. So if we can just realize it's a us together as opposed to me against you, we'll, we'll, we'll also be better in that regard. Yeah, and I, I often say when people are coming at me wanting an argument, and I just say, I don't owe you an argument. I don't owe you a debate. Yeah, if you want to have this conversation, I'm not the person that's going to sit here and want to engage in it. You know, you can you can tell me about my identity. You can tell me about what your belief is, and you can tell me about biology. You can tell me all these things. I go, I don't owe you a discussion. I I am. I'm me. I can't explain it. I'm not going to debate it with you. Sorry, but this conversation is not going to be productive for either of us. You just want to tell me you're right and attack me. I don't need to get involved in that conversation. So I think being a step out of it sometimes and not owe someone a debate, not get in, engaged in something where it's non-productive. And that's not it's not bottling it. It's not having, it's not avoiding the conversation. It's just saying, this is not productive for either of us. You, you just want to be right. Whatever I say, we're not going to change each other's opinions. So I don't need to have a conversation where you want to be right without listening to me. So I can do that. I can do that. In the pub, in the bar, somewhere with somebody else, I might enjoy it. <laughs> right, but it's uh, so true, Greg. I mean, we've been chatting now for oh, an hour and a half. You know, a bit in the green room and an hour on here. Amazing, and you know, thank you for sharing your story. I, when you when you said to me that you wanted to take part and you had something you wanted you wanted to share that was deep, I I had no real idea as to what you were going to say or how you were going to say it. And I, I let it unfold, and yeah, it, it's yeah. As I, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for coming here and, and saying what you said. But also, thank you for being, uh, I suppose, uh, yeah, a friend. You know, I, we've known each other superficially through Slack and through a product that you you're a part of. And I'm quite a fan girl of Cast Magic, and I'll, I'll be using it for the show notes for this episode. So tell us more about Cast Magic. Tell us more about how to get hold of you and how to find out about the product. I mean, once again, thank you so much for for making this a reality and and having this conversation, giving me, uh, you know, I, I don't drink coffee, but a, a coffee chat over something that's very serious to to me and and why I want others, to, and that's what I love about what I do. So Cast Magic, it's a platform that allows you to take any audio and video and repurpose it. So you can take this podcast, you can take your speaking engagements. What I love about what I do is goes back to my ethos is life is about time relationships. And so I get to connect with people like you through our Slack community, through a product that is helping your business. And then I get to serve you and go like, how do I help you? How's this doing that? So I'm on LinkedIn. That is where most of my content lives. Every Monday, I post three podcasts I think people should listen to. I am trying to constantly tell people on how to help their their podcasting journey, how to help with their brand identity, and a partnership person. So partnerships as well. It's kind of where I live. And this is the transition of, of 2024 into the ethos of how do I continue to tell a story to help people from a mental health standpoint? While it's now the trendy thing, it's it's something that is great. I can jump on because I know where I was a year ago. 
And if I can just help one person feel less lonely and help one manager understand like how to have a better conversation, that that's all I need. That's so powerful. Help one person have a better outcome as a result of a conversation with you. I think that's a, that's an easy thing so often not achieved by many, but yeah, it's, it's a good starting point. We're not trying to change the world. I can, if I can just change one person, we can all do that. We can all influence the one, if you like. Change ourselves, influence those around us. So very powerful. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you to you, the listener, for getting this far. I mean, we've had a, been online now for about an hour and, hour and five minutes. Thank you for getting to the end. I really appreciate you, and I hope you, you found this conversation as insightful and powerful as I have. Please do subscribe if you're not already subscribed to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please share the love. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues. I've got other exciting guests lined up over the next few weeks and months. And it won't be long till we're at episode 100. Yay! Fireworks. So I'm looking forward to, to that episode, that milestone. And of course, if you want to be a guest, like our guest today, Greg, and others I've had in the past, if you'd like to come on the show, and you just want to tell a story, you want to have a conversation with me, please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchainchapman.co.uk. If you've got any other suggestions, also please let me know. Finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood. It has been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.